0: The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources.
1: I'm so glad each one of you are here, glad the youth are with us tonight. And uh, this is a special one-night-only seminar on the gospel, on the gospel outline. Um, if you're in the IEW, please stand up, all right? If you've been with us all week, you know who you are. Stand up, raise your hand. Okay, these folks are on a mission trip without ever getting on an airplane, okay? They all week long, you sit down all week long, they've been getting up really early and having breakfast and then we do uh, classroom training on evangelism in the morning and then we're done at 7.45. And then every evening, we've gone out for different outreaches, and we're going out again tonight. We're going uh, to reach out to international, so please be praying for us. If you see one of these people, go and encourage them. They're a mission team, and uh, hopefully, God willing, on Sunday evening, we'll have some testimonies of how it's went, how it's gone this week. This is part of their training, and you're all just here too. Um, we're, tonight, we're going to discuss the content of the gospel, or at least one approach to the content of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is an amazing thing and you could be the rest of your life studying it and never fully understand it. It's helpful to have a kind of a, a synopsis or an outline of the gospel that you have memorized that you understand so that you can share your faith. So you know where to begin. And what I'm doing tonight is I'm proposing a gospel outline for you. You don't need to use it. You can find another way. If you have none of the elements that I'm going to share tonight, you'll be sharing a heretical gospel, okay? But uh, you can arrange those elements in whatever way you want. The outline that I'm going to suggest to you tonight, some of you have heard it before, but it's good to be reminded, has four basic parts. And you will find many gospel tracks like the four laws and Billy Graham's Steps to Peace with God. And many of these follow the same basic approach without using these headings. The four steps are God, man, Christ, response. Now, I've given most of you, I don't know if did y'all get a laminated card here? We had a certain number of them. If you don't have one, we're probably out. Chris, do you still have any left? All right. If you don't have one of these laminated cards, raise your hand. Seems like everybody's got one. Okay, good. The headings are on there. You can see in the bold face, God, man, and then turn the card over, Christ in response. That's the four part outline that we're recommending. This laminated card, I would not recommend that you give out to anybody. This is for you. This is to help you remember this outline that we're going to share tonight, you see. This won't mean much to somebody if you just hand it to them. It's just a bunch of reminder words is all it is with some scripture references. It's really for you to remind you uh, of the outline that we're going to share tonight, okay? Fair enough. So just take this with you, keep it in your Bible or keep it in your pocket. If, it, if you find it useful, uh, it will help you to remember. So what are the four basic parts of the gospel? Come on, say him. Christ response. That's right. That's the four things that we're going to try to share. We're going to start with God. We're going to go to cry God to man, then to Christ, and to response. These are the four things that we're going to want to share. Now you can share that in thirty seconds. You can share it in thirty minutes. You could share it on a plane flight back from China in eight hours if the poor person is willing to listen that long. Okay, but uh, really, it's just headings of an outline to help you understand now on the card, if you look at the card at the top on the left hand side, after it says gospel outline, there are four, four words beginning with the letter I, do you see them? Uh, this is, uh, related to the faith gospel presentation, but I thought it was useful. And so it's on the card here, introduction, interest, involvement, and inquiry. This is how to begin the whole conversation before you ever really even get to the gospel introduce yourself you know tell your name whatever let's say you're sitting on an airplane next to somebody or you're you know perhaps getting your hair cut or you're just uh standing at a gas station whatever you want to say your name or something introduce and then if you have opportunities uh then you can get into the other eyes for example what are the, what are the, some of their interests or what brought them here or what you know just talk to them like a human being um, and then you can zero in a little bit more on their spiritual involvement for example What is your spiritual background uh, or do you have a church you attend or something like that? And then the inquiry is a transition question and it's good to memorize it uh, or something like it, but it'd be like this. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? That's a very uh, clear diagnostic question, isn't it? What's the most common response to that? What do you think? If you're out there talking to people, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? What do you think they're going to say? Be a good person, do good works, right? And that is the number one religion in the world. There's lots of different versions of it. There's the Buddhist version and the Muslim version and the pseudo kind of uh, church going, but not really a believer version. There's a lot of different versions. The basic idea is that good works will outweigh your bad, that you're basically a good person and all that. So we're not going to go into all kinds of apologetics tonight. What I want to get to is what is the actual content of the gospel according to this outline, which I have found to be helpful. Now we're going to start with God. Why are we going to start with God? Well, because the Bible starts with God. Everything starts with God. And the thing that's important for us to remember is there was a time when God is all there was. There wasn't a a, a heaven or earth. There wasn't any people. There wasn't a history. There wasn't anything. There was just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing alone. No angels, no created beings, nothing, just God. And so it's so important that we begin with God. Basically, in effect, we are urging sinners, rebels, people who have not followed God to come back into a right relationship with God, the father. That's what we're seeking to do. That's what Jesus was trying to do. Remember what he said in John fourteen six: I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, what does it say? Comes to the father except through me. Now we think, is it all about going to heaven? Well, it really isn't. It's, it's about going to the father. It's a right relationship with God the Father that we're seeking. So we're going to start with God. That's the beginning. Now, what I would like to do is start with God the Creator. God is a Creator. We begin with God the Creator. I find this is very effective no matter where the people are coming from. It doesn't matter if they're internationals. It doesn't matter what their background is. We're starting with God the Creator. Again, why do we do this? Well, first of all, the Bible begins that way, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. And so that's the verse, the reference right there. What you want to do when you're sharing is you're saying, the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that I'm here to talk to you about is the one who made the sky. He made the sun. He made the mountains, the rivers. It doesn't really matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter what their background. They experience those things every day. And Romans chapter one says, God reveals or has revealed himself in physical creation. What a beautiful world we live in. Can you imagine how much more beautiful it would be if it weren't subjected to sin and to futility and how incredibly beautiful the new creation will be? Oh, I can't wait to see it. But it is a beautiful world that we live in. And God sends his son, the sunshine and the rain every day on the righteous and the unrighteous. So they are experiencing God the creator every day. And even more, God is their personal creator. So God is the creator. Now, from that, we learn some things about God. One thing that we learn is that God is loving God, the creator, expresses his love in what he's made. Acts 14.7 says this, 14.17, sorry. It says, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That's a very important verse. Acts 14.17 says, you are experiencing the love of God every day just by being alive, by having enough to eat, by having a family that loves you or that you love that you're in a relationship with many, many good things. We see the love of God in creation. We see that God is a creator. Therefore he's loving. Second thing we want to see is that God is a king. Now it makes sense. If God made all things, he gets to rule it. Doesn't he? He gets to be king over it for he made it. The Bible connects this thing all the time. The Lord rules over what he's made because he made it. He is the creator. So we go from God, the creator to God, the king. Our God is a king. He is sovereign. Psalm 47, 7 says, For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God is the king of all the earth. Isn't that exciting? To think about God sitting on his throne. Do they need to know about that? Do they need to know that God is king? Yes, they do. And it bothers me when the kingship of God and the kingship of Christ are hidden in a gospel presentation. Put it right out in front. You are are asking them to come back into a right relationship with God the King. Ever heard about the problems where people say they can accept Christ as Savior but not as what? Lord. That doesn't make any sense because this is the essence of the gospel. Come back under the lordship of God the King. So we're going to be proclaiming God the Creator and God the King. Now, because God is a King, He is sovereign. That means He rules. Our God is not an absentee King. He is actively ruling over His creation. We are not what you call deists where we think that God just kind of started the, the universe and just lets it run. Not at all. Our God actively rules over, he enjoys ruling over his creation. And so uh, he is sovereign. Psalm one oh three nineteen says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Now, as a king who is sovereign, who rules, he gets to make the rules on how we live. Our God is a rule giver. He's a law giver and he has made rules. Now, one of the most important things you can do in witnessing is share the law of God with people. Do you know why? Because people need to understand their need for a savior. Now, when we get to the man section, we're going to talk about our problem with sin. But what I want to do in the God section, God the creator, God the king, the law giver, what I want to do is say, what kind of laws has God given Just in abstract, so that we can say, we're not going to take our life and line them up against the law at this point. We're just going to say what he said. And the key is the Ten Commandments and the Two Commandments. Okay? The Ten Commandments were given to Moses, uh, at Mount Sinai, and they are, you shall have, I am the Lord your God, uh, who, uh, led you out of Egypt, he said to the Jews, you shall have no other gods besides me. And then the Second Commandment, you shall not make any idols, or worship any idols. Third is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth commandment is, is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do all your works in six days and rest on the seventh. For God made heaven and earth in six days and rested on the seventh. The fifth commandment is, honor your father and mother. The sixth commandment is, you shall not murder. The seventh, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth, you shall not steal. The ninth, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The 10th commandment is you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, you can memorize a simple list of the 10 commandments. You don't have to memorize all of Exodus 20 and all the extra words that go with it. But just memorize a quick outline of these 10 commandments. It's very important that you can express what those commandments are. You know why? Because we've all broken them. And not only that, but Jesus is going to explain in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just a matter of you shall not murder, but it's a matter of anger in the heart. It's not just a matter of you shall not commit adultery. It's a matter of lust in the heart. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So the Ten Commandments. But then I say plus the two great commandments. And what are they? Can somebody tell me what the two great commandments are? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, what else? You should love your neighbor as yourself. So memorize a a, a simple outline of the Ten Commandments and then the Two Commandments. Say, our God, the creator, he is king and he's given us these rules that we should live by each other. Now, finally, he is a judge. Our God is a judge. It makes sense. He's the creator. He is the lawgiver. But he's also a judge. He gets to decide how we've done with the laws. In other words, he will judge our lives. He will judge the life of everybody on earth, just like Abraham said in the message I preached on Sunday. He is the judge of all the earth. But listen to what it says in Psalm 96:13. The Lord comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Because God is judge, we understand that God is holy. He is a holy judge. It says in Habakkuk 1:13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Can you bribe this judge, do you think? Any way to get him to turn aside from what it is he wants to do? not at all. He is a perfectly holy judge. So now look what we've seen about God already. He is God is the creator of all things and he reveals his love in creation. He's creator, therefore he's loving. He is king. He made everything so he gets to rule over it. Therefore he is sovereign. He's a sovereign king. He is a lawgiver. As a king, he gets to give us the laws and he is judge who will judge how we do with the laws and therefore he is holy. We've already said a lot about God, haven't we? We have expressed a great deal of things that are true about God. The second section is man. By man, we mean the human race. We mean humanity. God created them male and female. It says in uh, Genesis 5, in the day he created them, he created them male and female, and he called them man. In Genesis 127, uh, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, what I did in this outline is I tried to link each section to the, art, the categories we've already set up. God is creator, man is created. God created us. You understand what I'm saying? Man is created by God the Creator. We are created to be like God. We are created to know and love God, and we are created to serve God. Now, how does that help? If you think about it, we're not even we haven't even gotten to sin yet, right? We're not even there yet, but we were originally created to know God. What does that mean to know God? Talk to me. What does it mean to know God? To, to communicate with him, to talk with him, okay? To experience Him? Exactly. In what way were we created to be like God? Does this, go ahead. We're created to be holy, that's right, to hate evil. What else? It says we're created in the image of God, right? Male and female, created in the image of God. What does that mean to be created in the image of God? What do you think? That's right. We're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to reflect him. He's our father. We're created in his image. We're supposed to be like him. And we were created to serve him. We were created to do, to do what he says, right? We're not equal to God. We're not on a par. He's not our friend in that kind of familiar sort of sense. He is the king. He's our father. And we were created to serve him, to love his son. That's right. Who said that? I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. That we were created to love him and to love his son. So we're created to be like God, to know and love God, and we are created to serve him. But we have a problem, don't we? And what problem do we have? Remember the first category is God the creator. What's the second category we learned about God? God is king. Well, how do we relate to that? Do we like that idea? No, we don't like that idea. We want to be our own boss, right? We want to be our own king. And so we are rebellious against God the king. We have rebelled against him and we have broken his commands. We are universally rebellious. Uh, I love, you know, people know Romans 3.23. I think that's fine for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if you like that in here as a good supporting verse, that would be fine. But uh, one that I like a little bit better is uh, Romans 3.10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. They have together become worthless. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. And listen to this. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, why Why do you think that's an important Bible verse? What did we already say is the number one religion in the world? I'm a good person. I do good works. Good, 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 good. We're all good. I'm good. Are you good? No, I'm good. That's that's a saying these days. It means I've had enough. Do you want some Coke? No, I'm good. You know, that's it. That, by the way, is a gospel opportunity. If somebody says that to you, really, you know, Jesus actually said there's no one good but God alone. So anyway, it's like, no, I meant I have enough Coke. I don't need any more Coke is what I mean. I've had three hot dogs already. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need any more. But, um, you know, Jesus actually did that to somebody. Remember the rich young ruler? Comes to him and says, good teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I wonder how many goods he's going to put in a sentence. And Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments, he said to him. Remember how he's dealing with the rich young ruler. So the issue is we are rebellious against God the king. There is excuse me, no one who does good, not even one. It does not matter how many good deeds you think you've done. God says, before you come to faith in Christ, how many good deeds have you done? You've done none. Isn't that a little bit shocking? People think that the basic idea is the good deeds will do what to the bad? They'll outweigh the bad. I was talking to Ronnie uh, recently. Ronnie told me of a friend of his. Ron, uh, Ronnie was, uh, knew this guy who, uh, go ahead, tell the story. You'd tell it better than me.
0: price and he said, Well as far as he was concerned, it's just how much good you've done versus how much bad. And I said,
1: Why well, do you stack up with He said well, I've done a lot more good than bad. for the Weapons of mass destruction and car bombs. Car bombs blowing people up and people actually dying. And we were wondering the two of us how much how many good deeds you need to do to pay for a car bomb, anyway, and if I even you could How many dollars given to UNICEF or how many cookies that you buy from the Girl Scouts or whatever it would take to pay for that. But here's the whole problem. First of all, you cannot use good deeds to pay for bad. Where that idea ever came from, it certainly doesn't come from the Bible. You know one of the key reasons you can't use good deeds to pay for bad? I'm going to tell you one. You already know one. But one of the key reasons is God expected you to do the good deeds anyway. There's no extra credit problems, you know what I'm saying, where you can kind of get extra merit and bring it over and help on the ones you didn't do well on? You know what I'm talking about? You know what an extra credit problem is? There are none in life. Can you ever get ahead of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? It's like, well, I've done that, but I want to do some extra. You know, what can I do beyond that? There is no beyond it. So there are no extra good things that God wasn't expecting anyway. He would say, if there was even one good deed, totally pure, done for the right motive, he would say, at last, you did once the thing I commanded you to do. But what about the other things? Secondly, you can't use good deeds to pay for bad because it makes no sense in any case. Think about our judicial system. Can you imagine if somebody were brought up for a serious crime, armed robbery, and said, I just want you to know that last week I gave a $1,000 to UNICEF. Uh, do you think the judge is going to be interested in that? Not at all. Said, you know, that really is not relevant to the situation. What's relevant is whether you did or did not do the crime. That's relevant. And if you did, you will have to be punished. And so it is. People think that they're going to stand before God and talk about the money they gave to UNICEF or the Girl Scout cookies that they bought, right? Or how good they were as people. But the Bible says the biggest problem of all is even if you could use good deeds to pay for bad, you don't have any. You have none. And so it's so important that you work this through in your mind and think it through because I guarantee if you try to share the gospel with somebody, you're going to meet this religion. You're going to find it out. People will tell you that they're basically good people who have basically done good things. Even a guy who's into weapons of mass destruction and blowing people up in cars thinks he's basically a good person. How did that happen? What a deceiver is the devil. What a deceiver he is. And you know the only thing that's going to open them up It's the law of God. You have got to do law work. And what I try to do with the law work is I work on the Ten Commandments. All right? Let's look at the Ten Commandments, I say. Let's take one of them, for example. Uh, Jesus said that we should honor our father and mother. The Scripture says we should honor our father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Did you honor your parents when you were growing up? Did you obey them all the time? Did you do everything they said? Uh, You know, the rich young ruler said he'd always obeyed his parents. But uh, I think if you brought mom and dad in and sat them down and said, tell me how it really was, okay, they would explain that there had been some sins. Definitely we didn't honor our parents the way we should. Say, so, well, I haven't killed anybody. He said, well, let me, let me talk about that for a minute, okay? If you were brought up on, a, on charges of a crime and uh, you were walking into a court and somebody called out, I want you to know it's all going to go well. You're going to be acquitted. It's all going to be fine. Would you take heart? Would you be encouraged by that? Probably not, because that's just a man on the street. What does he know? But suppose the judge on your case has written an opinion on the law on which you're going to be tried. Would that be relevant to you? Would you be interested in what the judge thought about that particular crime? I would be intensely interested. I know that my lawyer would be. Who is the judge who's going to be sitting on your case? It's going to be Jesus. In John chapter 5, it says that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. So who is the judge of all the earth? It's Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is in danger of the fire of hell. So you say, have you ever, you may not have ever murdered, but have you ever been angry at anybody? Well, you know what they're going to say? Everybody gets angry. See, when they start making those statements, you know you got them, okay? Because we're going to start getting to the point where he's going to say nobody's perfect. And when he says nobody's perfect, and then you say, yes, but you need to be perfect to go to heaven, that's when the law work starts to take effect. Have you ever been angry? Yes, I've been angry. Well, the Bible says you're guilty of murder in your heart. It also says you shall not commit adultery, Jesus said. But Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You know what the judge is going to be looking at? He's going to be looking at your life, but he's going to be looking also at your heart. How about the 10th commandment? You shall not covet. What does that mean? It means to really want something, to focus on it, to be kind of upset that somebody else got it and you didn't. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely it has. So those are the 10 commandments. We have violated the 10 commandments, really each one of them. But uh, many of the Ten Commandments are negative. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. The harder commandments to keep are the you shalls. Like you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have you done that? You're talking to the person you say, have you loved him every moment of your life? Have you lived for his glory? Have you yearned to see him exalted? Has he been the focus of everything you've done in your life? He is your creator. He's your king. He's your lawgiver. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You should be living for him every moment. Jesus said it's the most important commandment there is to love God with all of your strength. Have you done that? You know that uh, Jesus said at the end of all of that discussion, he said you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly You've got to be as perfect as God to go to heaven. Now, what do you think they're going to say at that point? What are they going to say? Nobody's perfect. I just told you that a moment ago. They're going to say nobody's perfect. Then what are you going to say? You're going to say, well, what can we do? We're kind of stuck, right? Nobody's perfect. You know what people usually do at that point? And they've already done it in their heart. They lower the standard, right? All it takes for the weapons of mass destruction guys to say, yeah, but I didn't blow up the World Trade Center, for example. There's somebody below me. And so, therefore, hell is for people that are below you on the ladder of righteousness, right? That's not the case at all. God has not lowered the standard at all, and he never will. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Absolutely, you must be perfect. Now, because we are rebellious against God God the king, we are under judgment by God the judge. If we are sinners, if we have sinned even once we must be judged. And Jesus says in Matthew 12:36, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And it says in uh, Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is death. Now, one of the things I do when I'm sharing the gospel is I try to use the expression death penalty. Okay, death penalty. You know why? Because the death penalty can be transferred. You see? The death penalty can be paid by a substitute. The death penalty can be paid by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But when I say the wages of sin is death, what that means is the death penalty. And it doesn't just mean physical death, does it? What does it really mean? What does he mean by death? What does that mean? Spiritual death. What is that, Ronnie? What is spiritual death? Yeah, it's the killing of the soul, and it takes forever and ever and ever. It's an eternal death in hell. And so Jesus came to save us from hell. Did Jesus ever talk about hell? Did he describe it? Yes, he did. Why did he do that? Because he was unloving? No, because he's loving and because it's real. And so each one of us are going to stand before God and we are going to be condemned if we don't have a Savior. We have broken the Ten Commandments. We have broken the two great commandments. We are under judgment by God the Judge. He is holy. He is righteous. And we have a serious problem. So therefore, we have the first key question before we turn over the laminated card. See what it says? How can a sinful person enter heaven where God allows no sin? That's a big question, isn't it? Before they were talking to you, they weren't asking that question. They were just buying their groceries. Look, all I really was here to do was just get some groceries and some cheese, okay? So I'm going to just go ahead and go. But on the airplane, they can't go anywhere. So that's the best part of all, all right? So it's like talking to them. But they're, they're at that point where they're asking... How can a sinful person like me enter heaven where God allows no sin? Turn the card if you would. We have already seen three titles for God. God the Creator, right? God the King and God the Judge. Those are the three titles. Now we meet his fourth title and what is it? What's his fourth title? God the Savior. God the Savior. Do you see that? One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 33.22. Does somebody have a Bible? Bring a Bible. Somebody read Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two. It's just one of my favorite verses, especially for this outline. Somebody read it. Our Isn't that a great verse? The Lord is our Judge. The Lord is our Lawgiver. The Lord is our King. It is He that will save us. Do you see the four titles all in one little verse? What's also interesting is, any of you that are civic-minded, can you tell me the three branches of the American government? The executive, legislative, and judicial. And in our system, it, there's a separation of the powers, right? Who did that, by the way? it was real good. Thank you. Good job, Lisa Fink. Well done. Okay. Executive is the president, right? Judicial is the Supreme Court at the highest level, and legislative is the Congress. And they're separated under our Constitution. They are not separated in heaven. Have you noticed that? The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. Do you see those three? Right there. He's everything. Why were there separation of powers? Because power corrupts. It corrupts people, but it doesn't corrupt God. God is incorruptible. And so therefore, he holds all power. He's never going to be running for election in November. It isn't happening. You don't need to cash your... I actually saw a bumper sticker, Jesus for governor, you know. I thought, why just governor? I think, you know, king of the universe. But either way, he is not running for king of the universe. He is king of the universe. The Lord is our judge. He's our lawgiver. He is our king. And he is the only one who can save us. Salvation must come from God. Well, what do we need to be saved from? Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from sin. This is the way I say it. We are to be saved from sin and everything it does to us. It's a full salvation that He has in mind. Matthew 1.21. This is the the angel speaking to Joseph, Mary's soon-to-be husband. And in Matthew 1.21, He says, She will give birth, that is Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from sin. The Ten Commandments, the two great commandments, judgment, the death penalty of hell. That's what we need salvation from. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. At this point, I like to talk about Jesus. There's nothing better you can do than to talk about him. How can they call on the one of whom they have not heard? How can they believe on somebody they've never heard of? Some of the gospel proclamation has to be content about his life. Now, without looking at the card, what are some of the things you'd want to talk to people about, about Jesus? What are some things they need to know about Jesus? He, never sinned. he was sinless. Okay. What else? What else do we need to tell people about Jesus? Died he died in their place, died on the cross. Okay. His action on the cross. What else? wants you to come to, you come to him. But just about his life, basic about his life, facts about his life. What do we need to communicate? He was sinless. We already got that. He's perfect. He did miracles. Why would we want to talk about that, Mark? Why is that important that he did miracles? That's right. It shows a supernatural power. And that's important because Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. And so the most important things you can talk about Jesus are his person, his works, and his words. Those three things. Who was he in his person? Who was he? Who was Jesus? Jesus. He was the son of God, or I prefer to say God, the son. Why? Because the Jehovah's Witnesses will accept that he's son of God, but they will not accept that he's God, the son. Okay. So I say he is God, the son. He is eternal, co-eternal with God. He is God who took on a human body. So he is fully God and he is fully man. He's the incarnation. He is God. Now that's a little hard to believe, isn't it? How could a man be God? And so... Jesus has given us evidence that helps us out. In John chapter 20, for example, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, Gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What are written? Well, the signs. Well, what kind of signs? What kind of miracles did Jesus do? Come on, tell me. Healings Healings like what? blind man seen john chapter 9 the man born blind had never seen red green yellow blue nothing never seen mountains never seen the sky never saw his mother's face incredible and so he had never seen anything what did jesus do to to heal him what did he do go ahead steve you know mud wash -wash see that's it he made mud put it on the man's eyes told him to wash he washed off and the man could see that's a miracle is what that what else did he do what are some other miracles that he did Raise the dead. What's the most famous resurrection of the dead, not counting his own? Lazarus. I love to talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. And so please, when you're witnessing, talk about Jesus' miracles. They're incredible. They're awesome. And it's a form of worship. You're just celebrating. Look what, he, well, look what he's done. And so I've witnessed before and I'm talking about I said, imagine if you were there. I like to put people right there. Imagine if you were there. This was Jesus' friend, Lazarus. And he's, and he's in the tomb. He's been there for four days. And Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, are grieving and crying and kind of subtly blaming him for his death. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so they're grieving, they're upset. And then Jesus says, where have you laid him? You remember? And he goes to the tomb and he prays, says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I pray it for the benefit of those standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Do you hear that? The purpose of the miracle is that we may believe. And so when you're witnessing, share some miracle stories. It's exciting. And even if they never come to faith in Christ, you can have a great time. I mean, it's just, it just takes the sting out of witnessing. You're not afraid because you're just worshiping God in front of them. Look what Jesus has done. And then after he prayed, he had said, move the stone, move the stone out. And then he called, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus has power to raise the dead. He has power to speak to the wind and the water, the waves, and they obey him. He is supernatural in his power. So we talk about his miracles. Matthew 11:5 says... The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's one verse that kind of summarizes Jesus' miracles. Matthew 11:5. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's what he did. So he is the God-man, John 1:1 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, verse 14 of chapter 1. Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. So, the incarnation, Jesus' miraculous life, and Jesus was sinless, as you already mentioned. First Peter 2.22 is the strongest statement on Jesus' sinlessness. First Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. Isn't that incredible? He never sinned. Can you imagine going through 30 plus years of life in this world and never once sinning? Never once thinking an evil thought, never once failing to do something he should have done, only ever living for the glory of the Father. When I witness, sometimes I bring Jesus back to the Ten Commandments and say, Jesus always honored his parents, his mother and father, he always honored them, obeyed them. He never once murdered anyone in his heart, you see. Never once. Committed adultery in his heart. He never once coveted. He never once bore false witness. He always loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he always loved his neighbor as himself. Do you know why I like to talk about Jesus' righteousness like that? Because that's what we're offering them in exchange for their sin. You get this. You get the righteousness of Christ offered to you. Perfect righteousness. That's Jesus. He never sinned. But that's not all. We have Jesus' supernatural life, but we have his substitutionary death. What do I mean by substitutionary? What is a substitute? How many of you have ever had a substitute teacher in school? How many treated her poorly? Okay, come on, raise your hand. All right, there you go. You'll admit it. All right, we used to do that. I won't say how, but come in. If you need any ideas, come talk to me. Um, But don't do it. Um, Substitute teachers, bless their heart, they step in there. But a substitute is somebody who takes the place of someone else they must understand at some level substitutionary atonement or they do not understand the gospel they have to understand how jesus can stand in our place and take our death penalty for us and we take his perfect righteousness so jesus stood in our place and died on the cross first peter 2:24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. So Jesus physically bore our sins and spiritually. There was an exchange. And 2 Corinthians 21, one of the most important verses you could ever know. God made him, Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Do you remember when we got done with the law work? And we said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Remember that? You've got to be absolutely perfect. You're not going to go to heaven. You remember what the person said that you're witnessing to? What did they say? Nobody's perfect. nobody's perfect. They always say that. That's when you know you're on the right track. When they say to you the words, nobody's perfect, that's when you know you're doing a good job. You say, yes, there actually was one person who was perfect. Jesus was perfect, absolutely perfect. And he is offering you his perfection as a gift. He's offering you his righteousness all you need to do is give him your sin you give him your sin imagine and i like to use the clothing analogy imagine you're covered in filth it's just a disgusting robe on you like you you are in the bottom of a dumpster somewhere and and you're standing before a holy god you could never Be holy enough. And it wouldn't matter if you tried to clean yourself up. You could never do it. Jesus is offering a total exchange. You take his perfect righteousness, his cleanliness, his purity. That's his gift to you. And he gets your filth. He gets your robe of wickedness and sin. And he gets to drink the cup of God's wrath in your place. He gets to die on the cross. And that's exactly what he did. He drank the cup of wrath on the cross. Jesus' substitutionary death. And then... Jesus' saving resurrection. 1 Corinthians 153 3-5, it says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to twelve and five hundred others. So Jesus did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead. Now for myself, just speaking about how I came to faith in Christ, When I was a junior at MIT, I'd been considering these things for a while, but I I really didn't know if it was true. I didn't know if it was for me. And somebody gave me a book called More Than a Carpenter, and it talks about evidence concerning the resurrection of Christ. And that was very significant for me. I began to consider the fact that Jesus' tomb was actually empty and that there was evidence that within a month and a half after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were in downtown Jerusalem preaching boldly that Jesus had physically risen from the dead. And though they were afraid before that to say anything for their faith, to say anything for Christ, now all of a sudden they're saying, look, you can kill us, you can arrest us, you can beat us, it doesn't matter. We have seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Now, what would be the easiest way for that first generation of folks to disprove the resurrection? What would be the easiest thing to do? Produce the body. And suppose they did produce the body. Would that have ended Christianity before it even began? Uh, Paul said it would have. If Christ is, is still in the grave, if, he's, if he did not rise from the dead, you are still in your sins. There is no Christianity. But you know what? They never produced the body. You know why? Because the tomb was empty. You understand the significance of that. The tomb was empty and thus Christianity could begin. Nobody knew what happened to the body except those that saw him and those that believed in Christ. He was raised from the dead. And so we proclaim the resurrection of Christ. We speak about it. And why is that important? Because the person you're talking to someday is going to die. All of us are going to die. All of us. And Jesus is the only one who can raise you from the dead. He has power to raise Lazarus and he has power to give you also his own resurrection. So Jesus is the Savior. He is uh, supernatural. God, man, miraculous life, sinless. And then he died a substitutionary death You know, in our place. He offers us an exchange where we get his righteousness and he gets our wrath, died on the cross in our place, and then he rose from the dead on the third day. Now he offers salvation gifts. And what incredible gifts does he offer? Well, he offers, first of all, total forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. How valuable would that be to you? How valuable would it be to you to know that all of your sins that you have ever committed... All of the record, you know how I said in Matthew 12:36, 36, you said you'll have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that you've spoken. I was witnessing to somebody once. They said, I don't remember everything I've said. I said, that's all right, God does. He's got a record. He's got everything written down. All right, and you say, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, well, it isn't just words, is it? It's what you've done. It's what you didn't do, everything. How valuable would it be for all of that to be wrapped up in the blood of Christ and thrown into the depths of the sea. Total forgiveness. In him, Ephesians one seven. we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he offers, total forgiveness of sins. He also offers you eternal life. Does somebody know all of Romans 6.23? Begins for the wages of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What is eternal life? What is it? Let me tell me what is it, huh? I'm sorry. Life that right now. It's a it's a life forever that starts right now. So it's it's not just a quantity of life, infinite quantity, but it's a quality of life. John 10:10, 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's a rich life. John's gospel is wonderful for explaining what the life is like. It's like having a spring of water inside you welling up to eternal life, which you can drink anytime you get thirsty. It's like having the bread of life, which you can eat anytime you're hungry. It's, it's like uh, having a good shepherd who watches over you and protects you from all evil things and leads you where you should go. It's like having a, a father's house in which there are many rooms and you can go live there forever. That's what life is like and many other images besides. He's offering you eternal life, both now, immediately, and eternally, forever. So He's offering you eternal life. Total forgiveness of sins and eternal life. All right, well, we've done three of them. What are they so far? What have we covered? What's the first? God, man, Christ. Well, what's left? Response. What what do you think I mean by response? What do you think? Do they need to respond to the gospel? Do they need to just say, uh, well, it's a nice story. Well, thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Or oh, I'm glad it works for you. Whatever works for you doesn't work for me, etc. They must respond. And you know what? They will respond. I guarantee they will respond somehow. You know, there will be a response. The question is, will they be saved? That's the question. And so we come to the response. There must be a response. The second key question. What was the first key question? How can a sinner like us Go to be in a heaven, in heaven with God, where He's sinless and perfect. How can that be? Okay. Well, the second key question is, what must I do to be saved? That's Acts sixteen thirty. The Philippian jailer asked that. Remember that? What must I do to be saved? Well, what you must do is in Mark one fifteen. Can somebody find that in your Bible and read it for us? Mark one fifteen. Anybody? Sword drill. Who's gonna get it first? Come on, Mark 1.15. And say, The
0: time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at a hand. Repent and believe in the gospel.
1: So what are the two things he tells the people? This is Jesus speaking in Mark 1.15. What are the two things he tells them they must do? Repent. Repent and believe. Now you thought it was just one, right? You thought all they need to do is believe. Well, if you understand believe properly, it is just one thing. But you see, believe is two aspects. It's not just simply that we would believe the good promises, but that we would also be convicted of sin, be reproved in our hearts about sin and turn away from it. And so it's pulled out and separated in that statement there. The time is at hand. The good news is here. The time is, it has come. Repent and believe the gospel. What does it mean to repent? What is repentance? Well, it's like a U-turn. You're driving in one way and you say, I'm going the wrong way. And you turn around and you go the opposite direction. It, It starts in the mind. It has to do with mentally saying in your heart, I don't want to do that sin anymore. I don't want to break the Ten Commandments and the Two Commandments anymore. I don't want to live that kind of life. I hate sin and everything it does to me. I turn away from it. I repent. So repent, turn away from sin and turn toward God. That's what repent means. And what does it mean to believe? Well, it means to put your trust in, to acknowledge that what we've said is true. But more than that, it's true that it is your salvation. It is your only hope. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what it means. And so the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what you must do. What must you not do? What does it say on the card? What must you not do? Work for it. They say, wow, I'm in trouble. I gotta work harder, right? Gotta crank out more good works. Well, we already talked about that. There are no good works apart from Christ. Don't work for it. We were out last night, um, with the IEW team, and, uh, we were sharing with somebody, um, right near here, and the person began by saying that they were basically a good person and that they thought they'd done enough good works to go to heaven. I said, you know, I've heard that before somewhere. Anyway. But I didn't say that. We started talking, and, uh, I wasn't doing the greatest job, but Jenny was with me, and she said, um Ephesians two eight and nine is a great verse. I was so encouraged to have her with me. And I had forgotten, but Ephesians two eight and nine is a wonderful verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't work for it. Don't go out and try to work off your guilt. All you'll do is actually increase your guilt. If you don't repent and believe, turn away from Christ, turn away from him and say, I'm going to go try harder you'll actually increase your judgment and your wrath, not decrease it. So you must not go work for it. You must also not wait for it. What do I mean by that? You must not wait. Why, why should they not wait? Suppose they say, you know what you're saying makes sense? I want to think about this more tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. Is not promised. What does that mean, Ronnie? Tomorrow is not promised. Yeah. I mean, do you know for certain you're going to be alive tomorrow? The book of James says, instead, we ought to say, if the Lord li- wills, we will live. We don't even know if we'll be alive. And so you can't wait for it. And a good verse for that is 2 Corinthians 6, two, for, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I, he- I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know what the big problem is with waiting? It's not just that they might not be alive tomorrow. It's that their own heart will be hardened by not repenting now if they're hearing God call to them. Do you see what's happening? If, they're, if it's making sense, if they're hearing the voice of the shepherd and they resist and hold back, they're not in the same place they were at before you started talking. You are actually bringing them either blessing or curse. You're not bringing them neutrality. Did you realize that? You're going to be to some the savor of life, but to other the stench of death. You're going to be a fork in people's road. Is that uncomfortable? Yes, it is. But that's what he calls us to do. He calls on us to bring people to a fork in the road where they choose life and not death. And so they must not wait. They must uh, turn and believe. Now, what is eternal life? What do we get here on earth? Well, let's go back to the original things we learned about God. He is creator. He is king. He is lawgiver or judge. And he is uh, our father. What does it say about Creator? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So the Creator wants to do a new work on you. He wants to recreate you. He wants to make you new again. And if you trust in Christ, He'll make you a new creation. He's going to start all over with you in your life, and everything's going to change. Secondly, He wants to be your king. Hmm. 1 John 3.24 is not the best one. Well, You know what's the best verse on King? We'll have to change that. It's a laminated card. Too late. Anyway, um, you know what I think the best King verses are, even though it's not clear? It's Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What did he say next? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light you know what the yoke is it's you bending that stiff neck down and yielding to a king it's jesus being your king and you know what he said about his yoke he said it's easy his burden's light it's sin that is a crushing burden you're going to serve either sin or christ one or the other and so you have a new relationship to god the king jesus is your king he will rule over you with love also you will be completely pardoned by god the judge So you're newly created by God the Creator. You are newly submissive now to God the King. You are completely pardoned by God the Judge. John 5.24, one of my favorite verses. Really, you know, it's almost one of those great one verses like Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. John 5.24, if I only have time for one verse frequently, that's the one I share. You know what it says? I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he has crossed over from death to life. Isn't that incredible? Not be condemned. You're not going to go to hell. How? By doing good works. There's nothing about good works in there. Hear and believe and you'll be saved and you will not be condemned. So completely pardoned by God the judge and adopted by God the Father. John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As a result of that, you get eternal life now on earth. That's what you get. New creation by God the creator, your servant to God the king, completely pardoned by God the judge, and you are now adopted into his family. You also get eternal life in heaven forever after you die. And for this, it's uh, John 11, 25 and 26. It says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he what? Dies. Isn't that incredible? Even if you die, you will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then you come to the most important question. Do you believe this? That's the end of what he says there in John 11:25 25, and 26. You must bring them to a point and say, Do you believe what I've said? Yes or no? And then let them answer. Give me a response. Will you trust in Christ today? Will you believe in him? Will you yield your life to him? Will you call on his name for salvation? And then you wait for their response. That is God, man, Christ response in about 55 minutes. Okay? Can you do it in... Five minutes. Well, not to this level, but you could go quickly. You could say God is a creator. He's a king. He's a lawgiver. He's a ruler. He created us, man, in his image, but we rebelled against him. We disobeyed him. We didn't honor him. And so God, knowing that we could never go to heaven unless he helped us, sent his son, Jesus Christ. Sinless life, miraculous life. He died on the cross in our place. God raised him from the dead on the third day. And now he offers to any who repent and believe Full forgiveness of sins if they will simply trust in Him. How long was that? Was it 30 seconds, something like that? 40 seconds? You can do it everywhere from there and in between. Any questions? Anything at all? Can we get this on tape? Get this on tape? Is it Eric? Is it being taped? All right, we're taping it. Yes, you can get it on tape. Yes. Yeah, how to go from talking generally to talking specifically about spiritual things. Yeah, we talked about that in IEW. That was one of our topics. That's a very, very good question. How do you go from that? Those of you that heard me, what's the answer? What, What's some things you can do? Do you have a church home? Do you have a church home? That's a good question. Okay, what are some other questions you can ask to get to spiritual things? Yeah, do you, have a Bible? do you have a Bible? Do you read the Bible at home? That's fine. Okay, do you ever think about death? Yeah, and what do you think would happen after that? Those are some good things. And then may I share with you what I've come to understand the Bible says about that. And so at that point, then you can go into God, man, Christ's response. So that's a good question. Go ahead. It does need to be. And here's the thing. I I don't try to prove that Scripture is the Word of God any more than Scripture tries to prove that God exists. You, you look at the beginning of, how does the Bible begin? In the, in the beginning, God. And it doesn't give you any apologetic proof ahead of time. Here's the thing. I believe they know it's the word of God. You're speaking it, they know. And they'll put up all kinds of walls. But you know what I do? Sometimes I'll say, in your heart, you know what I'm saying is true. And I'm going to pray for you tonight that you'll be unable to sleep tonight and that these words, the words of God, are going to be so ruminating in your mind that you can't get it off your mind. I don't waste time trying to prove why the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, it just is. And they are going to know in their hearts that, you know, because it says their consciences bear witness and then accuse them. So they know in their hearts. That's a that's a very good question. I want to tell you real quickly, next week we're beginning our, our fall Acts schedule. And I'm very, very excited about what we're doing. Um, the Acts seminar, the adult Christian training seminar, the adult portion, is going to be meeting in the sanctuary. And we're going to be talking. Eric and I are both teaching it. Eric Campbell and I. And we're talking about worship, corporate worship, private worship, you know, different topics concerning worship. We are very excited about it. We'll be even more excited when the thing starts getting finished and worked on. We worked on it a little today, but a week from now we will be ready, won't we, Eric? We will be. We will be ready. Thumbs up. Okay. But. uh, I am very, very excited about this. We'll be meeting in the sanctuary. Eric's going to be using his gifts with music. We're going to be talking to each other about varieties of things. If you are interested in corporate worship, if you are interested in worship styles, if you're interested in anything to do with that, come to this or forever hold your peace. Okay? (laughs) I had a good group, I just had to say that. So please come, it's gonna be exciting, I'm looking forward to that. I love to discuss these kind of things biblically and to work through it, I'm looking forward to it. So that's next week during the time of Acts. Alright? Wednesday, night. Wednesday nights, yep. Wednesday nights. Uh, pretty much all fall as far as we're looking at right now. Yes, Scott? Yeah, here's good for prayer. So we'll meet here at 6 and then, you know, adjourn at 6.25, and make our way down there. Uh, for that's a good good thing. I E W. If you're an I E W, please meet in the parlor in about seven eight minutes, and we'll get out for tonight's uh, outreach. Let's close in prayer. If we would.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from TwoJourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at TwoJourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians